Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitters of the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball, and if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now... Hello, heaters. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat, presented, as always, by Manscaped. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you. I am Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my inexorable co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please make sure you find us all on Twitter at our individual accounts and follow the show there at Half Street High Heat. And don't forget to check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com, where you can read all about the nationals who suck. How are you guys? So... If I if I spelled the right word, I'm taking Nick's thing today. Okay. <laughs> um, that means impossible to stop or prevent, which hmm. means I You're am inevitable. Inevitable. I am inevitable. Yeah, you like that? I'm Why was there an accent on that? <laughs> <laughs> I am inevitable. I her, am. That was her I thing told though. you I'm from. I told you I'm from Winchester. Oh, I just over came. the mountain. Over the mountain. I'm not from Winchester. I should I should qualify that. I, I'm in Winchester. I'm from Sterling. <laughs> not far, but I don't think I've ever met someone from Sterling. I have. Yeah, yeah Amanda. <laughs> we are Legion. Yeah, Parkview I, Patriots, baby. I hear once you meet one, you meet them all. So Yeah, that is what they say. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll age myself for a second. Is when I went to high school in Loudoun County, there were only four high schools in Loudoun County. I think there are like 17 now, something insane. Like yeah, that. a lot have been popping up recently. Yeah, there's some I don't even know. People will say them, and I'm like, I've never heard of that. I've lived in this area my entire life. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, like Osborne, Osborne Park, Battlefield, uh, Patriot. Patriot was one of the new ones. I think Osborne and Osborne Park are in the masses. Is that not... <laughs> uh, I guess that's Prince William. Sorry, it is. Well, Manassas is its own municipality. Anything but... outside of Fairfax and Alexandria, is really, it's all the same. If you're not Fairfax, you're just not Fairfax. That's the... Yeah, basically. Basically. So, um, quick pitch. What's up with 
fans acting a fool at sporting events right now. like they, we finally get to go back to sporting events and they're about to if i were them i'd be like maybe we should ban the fans and just not oh, literally literally we're we're going to lose fans so just to like wrap up the last week um westbrook got popcorn poured on him Kyrie got a bottle thrown at him today uh, a fan ran on the field and tried to fight a pitcher in the minor leagues um a fan ran on the court in the caps game um the there's uh, excuse me wizards game wrong dc sports both of them let me down Terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah you can been... see i can understand your confusion <laughs> There's been endless fan fights at baseball games. And, like, I enjoy yeah. a good fan fight. I don't understand why people fight at baseball games, like, or any sporting event. What are you trying to prove? You just look like a loser, but they're fun to watch. <laughs> like, people don't know how to act anymore. It's, like, all like the whole year people are just, like, being internet tough guys. Like, I'm speaking one. I am literally an internet tough guy. Um, <laughs> I know then, of what I speak. <laughs> and, like, now they're just doing the same stuff in, in person. And, like, the NBA is cracking down on it hard. They're banning all these people, and they're also also like arresting them so i know like the dc metropolitan police is like with the guy who stormed on the court like they're straight up arresting these people which is pretty funny like hey i'm doing five years because i threw a bottle like Kyrie, but man, <laughs> oh, no. that's, pre- that's a pretty good story relax. once you get out yeah. hey no, what are you I in think, for <laughs> I mean, but i think you're onto something about people that had act i mean i not that people didn't do dumb crap at sporting events before covid but it seems like it's a real issue wasn't it uh was it Mike Tyson who said the problem with the internet is y'all think you y'all don't think about what you can say and not get punched in the face or something like that? A lot of people have said that at this point, but it's true. Like, but I really? think it's yeah, I think so. I think people get this idea that like you can act in real life like you might act on the internet and you're gonna get knocked Here's out. Here's the thing. I I need someone to do because at basketball games, I think they're doing courtside seats right now. I'm not one hundred percent certain. But if they are, I need someone courtside to mouth off so a player just turns around and just decks them right in the face because <laughs> take one for the team, bro. <laughs> I need something like Malice in the Palace to happen in today's social media age. Twitter needs that. We need this to happen. We need it. Haven't we been through enough? We need this. I think what's really going on is, you know, similar to what we talked about with Ryan, uh, people have just gotten accustomed to cyberbullying over the past year and not being at (laughs) events. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you put them back out in the real world where they have to be accountable for their actions and people will punch them in the face um, and they can't handle it. But it is weird to see because even though it's a much smaller sample size, both in the amount of games that have been played, but also just fans in the stands because no baseball teams at 100% capacity yet. It does seem like there's a lot of fights in a lot of these incidents. And I say that having seen, you know, two or three viral, viral videos on, on you know Twitter, but still it seems like fans everywhere just not handling themselves the same way. Yeah, I think that's pretty, and I think maybe it's not just fans. Maybe it's just real life in general. We're just seeing it with fans because that's the stuff that makes, you know, the viral videos. But yeah. I think there might just be people in general who are going out in the world and have forgotten how to behave yeah, these, like normal people. These people have, you know, been cooped up with their family and couldn't say anything to their family for the past year. So they take out on pro <laughs> athletes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. It's yeah. it's all it's embarrassing, but at the same time, it's really it's pretty fun embarrassing, to watch. <laughs> but 
for for a podcast it makes for good content so no, it's not me who's acting like an idiot so. <laughs> right yes, it doesn't matter <laughs> at least not in that video exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh move on to our week in review it is june and this is when we start realizing who is and who is not a competitor as we're getting around over the 50 game mark to get started Theo epstein wants baseball back in the players hands he talked about how mlb will begin cracking down on substance for pitchers and said that mlb will limit number of pitchers on rosters to prevent guys from coming up too early this announcement comes after there's a whole slew of guys who are getting hit and injured by being hit by pitches josh allison made history scoring the two millionth run in baseball history According to a Tampa Bay City Councilman, the Rays have begun looking at relocation in Nashville. The Rays, speaking of the Rays, they have won 16 of the last 17 games. On the complete opposite end of that, the Orioles have lost 13 straight. The Yankees' offense continues to struggle as they are winless when giving up more than five runs in a game. They're the only team in baseball who has no wins when giving up five or more runs. The Cubs and Cardinals are tied for NL Central as we head to June. The Giants enter June with a half-game lead somehow in the NL West, while the Diamondbacks have lost nine straight. Things get better for Diamondbacks. They had to face the Grom tonight. To the mediocre East in fifth place are the 21 and 29 Nats and folks. They may be bad. More on them shortly. In fourth place are the 24 and 28 Marlins, who took two or three from the Phillies, and they lost the two-game set in Boston. In third place are the 25 and 29 Phillies, who also just stink. They are three and seven in their last tw- 10. Unfortunately, Quinn has a ruptured Achilles as injuries continue to pile up. They got two games swept by the Rays, and they were blown out 11-1 to in the first game of the Reds series. In second place are the 25-26 and 26 Braves after playing just one game against the Mets where they got blown out. They took the first game against the Nats. Marcelo Zuna was arrested over the weekend for strangling and battery as the details came out of the horrifying domestic violence event. He was released on $20,000 bail. He is currently facing 4 to 20 years in prison. In first place are the 25 and 20 Mets. They took the game against the Braves and have a West Coast trip to Arizona and San Diego this week. They're slowly getting healthier as Kevin Pillar is somehow back after taking a brutal fastball to the face. Pete Alonso and Seth Lugo are back as well. While the Annalise has been awful, Luis Rojas is seriously the front runner for manager of the year for somehow having the Mets in first place after everything they've gone through. This has been your week in review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Try the Deep Eddie Strawberry Texas Lemonade. One drinker who shall not be named, it was Monty, gave a review as a refreshing blend of tart lemon vodka and sweet strawberry, strawberry puree combining with crispy Sprite and orange liqueur to create a delightful fiesta in your mouth that it will not forget. Make sure you guys grab your chilies. You can get that to go curbside or dine on in. This has been your week in review. Um, the first thing is, or that I just want to talk about, um, the Rays relocating to Nashville just makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nashville has a great market with good fans, and quite frankly, Florida baseball stunk or stinks. Uh, there's a reason there wasn't Florida baseball prior to when did the Marlins come? Like '98, something like that. That sounds I mean, about right. So and the Rays came about the same time. There's a reason Florida baseball wasn't there. It, for some reason, Florida baseball just isn't attracted to fans. Well, it's not just 
baseball. It's honestly all sports. Like yeah, the heat, yeah. The Heat struggle with attendance. Um, the Lightning are the only team in the entire state that has decent attendance. I just feel like there's so much to do in Florida, especially like the markets right. they're in. Jacksonville, Miami. If I'm in Miami, I'm not going to go to a sporting event. And then Tampa, um, the Rays' current stadium is the farthest away from a neighborhood out of all stadiums. So, like, I feel like they kind of set them up for failure. But Miami, no one's going to go to a sporting event in Miami, let's be honest. Yeah, like, at least in California, there's plenty to do. But you have the big market. So you have, you know, the, the, the superstars and the allure of, you know, a primetime team. For the most part, like, you know, obviously the Dodgers and, and you know, whatnot. Um, but, again, the Rays in Nashville makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nashville is at the top of the list for an expansion team should they ever decide to, you know, expand. I think it would make a lot of sense. And that, that market, it's like, what's the closest team to Nashville? I'm testing. What is Amanda's. Atlanta? I guess, it, I guess that's Atlanta territory. Atlanta has way too much territory for, you know, how. Yeah, I, I would think Tennessee done. would be Atlanta or Virginia. I mean, so, Tennessee yeah. borders Virginia, so I guess D.C. <clears throat> or Atlanta would be the only. Right. Closest. So and I think prior to the Nats, like, I mean, the Braves had so much territory, but th- that's besides the point. The Rays in Nashville is fitting. So give me the Rays in Nashville. Give me the Angels in Vegas. Let's get my my. You mean A's, to... not Angels? No, give me the Angels in Vegas. Oh. Uh, give let me get Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, and whoever else they decide to vastly overpay, um, in a prime spot in Vegas, out of the Dodger shadow. Stop trying to be pretending to be an LA team. Just own Vegas. Be the Vegas Angels or whatever, and then give me the A's the athletics in Portland. The more I think about it, the more I love that fit. I think it would be very A's baseball to, you know, be the Portland going from Oakland to Portland. Uh, That's my my wish. Yeah. That's my wish for the MLB kind of shuffling around. I I do think expansion teams are coming probably in the next five to 10 years, but doesn't mean teams can't shift around and claim some cities they want before that. Yeah, I, I don't hate any of those. I, I, I think it makes sense for a Florida team to just go to Nashville. It's not very far. You're still kind of in the same area of the country. It would seem weird to me for a team like the A's to relocate all the way to Nashville. Right. But, yeah, I like that. I have a wish, too, though. My wish is that we get to have one of Monty's descriptions of a Chili's item at the end of each Week in Review. <laughs> those are fun. And Monty went like four days in a row, and each time I was like, hey, I respect uh, it. I was like, yeah. give me a, give me, give me, give me a review, guy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to make that a weekly, like at least once a week. We need a, a, a review of some item at Chili's. I think that's yeah, perfect. we're just going to, hey, Monty, your job this week. It, don't worry about the site. Just go eat something from Chili's. <laughs> exactly. Well, or do both. Both yeah. is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to the Nat spat. We're going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good is first, and I got nothing. What do you guys got? You got anything? Absolutely nothing. Nothing is deserving of good this week. The Nats need to sit in the corner and think about what they did. That's did, the good. Or didn't do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what they failed at. Yeah, like I was trying to think of something. I guess you could say Max Scherzer, but, I mean, meh. And then I was trying anyone you look at or any one thing you look at, if you do a deep like a just a slightly deeper dive of the numbers, it's like 
it's very mediocre and we don't yeah you're like that's good well not yeah, really <laughs> yeah we don't reward mediocrity on this show so well yeah, then we got no then we have no awards to give right right now. exactly because mediocrity is the ceiling at this point <laughs> so so sad <laughs> i know all right well so we have nothing good to say this is this is not our positivity episode <laughs> um we're moving on to the bad um let's start with josh harrison who you know really really hot earlier in the season really was one of the best hitters on the team in the last seven games he's hitting 208 or slashing 208 240 250 yikes yeah he has Five hits, one walk, four strikeouts in that span. He has no home runs and no RBIs. This one isn't that surprising. Um, Everything regresses towards the mean, and Josh Harrison was playing well above who he is as a player. Um, Josh Harrison, at this point in his career, he is a depth guy. He is not someone who should be playing every single day, and he's kind of starting to regress into that guy offensively. Um, I feel like going forward, he's going to be a little more inconsistent just because he is playing every single day when he shouldn't be. Kind of like Ryan Zimmerman, like Zimmerman's playing really well because he's not playing every single day. I feel like if we saw that with Josh Harrison, his numbers will go back up. Unfortunately, he was playing out of his mind. Now he's regressing back towards the mean and he's in a slump. He'll probably be in that a little bit longer. Um it was just inevitable. Like this, this bad stretch for Josh Harrison was beyond inevitable. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the start we got from Jay Hay was awesome and a welcome surprise, but one, like Ryan said, this, this was inevitable. He, he is who he is and that that's perfectly fine. He still has value and still has a good role carved out on this team. Um, Oh, well, I kind of just gave both my points there. <laughs> this is who he is. And two, he still has a role carved out on his team. Like, he's still serves a purpose. Right now, he's our starting second baseman. He ideally shouldn't be in that role, and we've talked about that a little bit before. You would like him to be that bench guy to play second, play third, play center, play left, whatever, to, to kind of give guys days off. But he still gets regular at-bats as well. That's what we signed him for. We didn't sign him to be our starting second baseman. It's just the way it took out with Carter Keboom and some other guys. He just found himself in that role, and he's been he's been fine. He's he's been fine. He's not a staple. He's not our second baseman of the future, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very solid point. He he may be he may have been a much better player had we seen him in the role he was intended for. Um, you know, playing every day. He's he's you know not a not young by baseball standards at this point and playing every day. This is a grind. We're 50 games in now. I think maybe we're starting to see the wear and tear of the season show up. Although he certainly was a nice surprise earlier in the season. And, uh, you know, maybe he can get somewhere in between what he's doing the last seven games and what he was doing before. But I don't think we can realistically expect him to get back to what we were seeing earlier in the season. Unfortunately, Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about Starlin Castro a little bit here in the bad. Um, okay, well, Starlin Castro's 11... in the ugly, so. Oh, did I miss that? Okay, yeah. I think that works then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess I was going to say bad, but we'll go We'll go with ugly. Gotcha. Okay, so Joe Ross, he's in our bad section here. Um, his last seven starts, he's gone one and four with a 5-1-8 ERA, uh, pitched 33 innings, Gave up 32 hits, 19 earned runs, and 16 walks. That's that's not good. 
Yeah, we saw we saw today he had a very, very rough first inning. Um after a short outing the one before, he walked three people in the first inning, somehow only gave up three runs, loaded the bases twice. Um he threw over thirty pitches. Not how you want to start games. He did do a nice job of settling in, but an issue we're continuing to see with Ross is he's taking well sorry. He either gets off to a pretty slow start in the first inning or he has three great three great innings, and then the fourth, fifth inning, he gets in a world of trouble. His ERA in the fourth inning and on is well over six. His inning before that is in the threes. So was it saying you're starting a pitcher routinely gets in trouble in the fourth to fifth inning? Maybe that's not your calling right now. Um, I feel like there's now a lot more questions about Joe Ross than there were a couple starts ago, and I kind of feel like what was once a lock now maybe it's a big question mark, and Eric Fetty may have taken his job in the rotation. Yeah, well, I would have said if you'd asked Hello, me. Hello, darkness, my old friend. What happened? I, I don't know if you can hear it, but Nick is playing um, The Sound of Silence. That's how oh. I feel. Yeah, it's really how I feel. I couldn't hear that. I have my, my uh, background noise turned down a lot. So, yeah, it's uh, darkness indeed. Starkness indeed. You guys know how how much I love Joe Ross, and it, it's it's painful because you know maybe someone like Corbin. You know what? Spin zone. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm gonna blame Patrick Corbin and uh, John Lester for Joe oh, Ross's downfall. Okay. Because he was perfectly fine until they got back, and then he saw them pitch terribly. And as a young guy, he's taking after the veterans and the leaders of the rotation. Sorry, how old is he? And I, I just think it's really gotten to him because he he's you know he's mimicking them. He he feels like he has you know a lot to learn from him because they both have had success in their their career. Um, and he's mimicking them and having poor outings because they're constantly having poor outings. So it is not Joe Ross's fault. It is Patrick Corbin and John Lester's fault. And they need to be out of the rotation before Joe Ross does. Oh, that's uh see, I was maybe sticking with you just a little bit until you got to that last sentence. <laughs> I mean, look look at the numbers. He was perfectly fine before they got back. Well, and as we all know, correlation is causation. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right, let's move on to more bad. We have plenty of bad. Um, the last <laughs> five games, they've been outscored eight to nothing in the first inning. So yeah. that's cool. And then they never score any more runs. So that's Ever. the game. It's over in the first <laughs> inning. You really do feel like that. Like, it really gives you a feeling when you watch these games in the first or second inning. Today was a perfect example. They were down three to nothing, and I was just like, yeah, this game's over. Literally every single game is the same. You know how they say, like, if you've seen one firework, you've seen all fireworks? Mm -hmm. If you've seen one Nats game, you've seen every single Nats game. And if you've met one person from Sterling, you've met all the people. You've met all people from Sterling. It's Groundhog Day again. Every day. They fall behind early. Uh, They can't hit for a while. They finally get a couple hits. Then they just leave everyone out there with the runners in scoring position. They have one inning where they score two or three runs kind of get in it the bullpen immediately gives up a run or two and then they lose five to three or five to four or st- oh sorry they don't score four runs or they get <laughs> yeah, shut out I was say five to four um, i'd yeah. almost be excited about a five to four loss it's Watch the same repeat. thing every day and recently um with ross corbin and lester 
first innings have been kind of an issue. Max had a rough first inning uh, for, you know, he gave it two runs, which is completely unacceptable for Max Scherzer. Um, this team is routinely falling behind. And when you cannot score runs consistently, you can't afford it. Unfortunately, you're putting a lot of stress on your rotation. A lot of stress when they're honestly not pitching that bad. They're not great. This team doesn't have an identity. They're not good at anything. But going down consistently in the first inning when you can't score, you're kind of just digging your own grave at that point. Yeah, and we, we talk about this in our interview, so I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. But, yeah, it, it truly feels insurmountable, you know, after the first inning like it's been or after the first two, three innings um, because we just haven't been able to score more than three runs. And Ryan made a great point last episode that the, the pitchers really need to be perfect in in order to even compete for a win because they know their offense isn't going to isn't going to pick them up. So it, it's just been terrible to watch it it feels like you know one of the teams i coach or you know at least at that level where you give up a couple to first and you just feel like the game is over because the life is just gone if there was even any life to begin with so it's painful to, to watch your team this professional team absolutely not be in these games after the first inning after you know the first couple batters it's just Makes it really hard to even watch it, even if you're a diehard fan. It makes it hard to get into as well. Like sometimes, you know, if you're not watching the game, you're like, oh, I need to get back and watch the game. But like, even if you, you know, don't know the score, you don't know or aren't watching it. Right. It's like, well, I know how they've been recently and they're probably losing. So what's the rush to get back and like catch up with game or whatever. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, we'll get more, like I said, we'll talk more about some of those topics in the interview we have for you a little later in the show. But uh, let's move on to the last of our bad section here, which is Will Harris is out for the year with um, surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, mm-hmm. which they thought he might have had and took him to a specialist earlier in the season, about two months ago, and said he did not have thoracic outlet syndrome. And now he has been diagnosed with that very thing and is having surgery that presumably could have been done two months ago had he been diagnosed properly then. Yeah. Um, TOS is rough. Um, Matt Harvey had it and along with a lot of issues Matt Harvey had with his arm and kind of wasn't the same ever since. It's a tough injury for pitchers. It's one where you see and you also know how old Will Harris is and you're like, well, damn. That sucks. Um, really like hopeful. That might be it for him, like yeah. not just for the season. Like that might be the end of his career. Yeah, like you, you really hope this isn't it. Um, he has one more year in this contract. Really hope he's able to come back next year and be able to pitch. Um, just really hope this isn't how it all goes down for him. Yeah, from a human point of view, you want the best for everybody, of course. Like you hope the guy can come back because I'm sure he doesn't want his career to end this way. But it. It is worth looking at it from a contract perspective for the Nats as well, which is he was supposed to be a huge bullpen piece and he's not been, he's been anything but that. Yeah. So obviously first things first, you wish Will Harris the best of luck uh, health wise and through all this. And we definitely hope he comes back, but you know, changing gears a little bit. um, It was insanely crucial for Mike Rizzo to not stop at Will Harris, but also bring back Daniel Hudson. I don't think that can be overlooked because we've 
as we've all talked about, it was rare he ever paid up for a reliever like he did with Will Harris. But not only that, he still went out and got re-signed Daniel Hudson as well, which is, as we've seen this year, huge for this mm-hmm. bullpen. And um, I think this kind of – I could be wrong, but pretty much officially puts to bed any Tanner Rainey trade talk. And I think people were misunderstanding me. I'm not advocating to trade Tanner Rainey. It's just if this team was going to be buyers at the deadline, Tanner Rainey is an attractive trade piece. I'm perfectly fine with keeping him and hoping he bounces back. But I think this kind of puts the nail on that, um, you know, idea. And we'll see what the Nats do at the deadline. But I don't think it's going to be anything major. Yeah. If history is any indication, and it usually is, I don't think we'll see much. Okay, let's move on to the ugly. We've got plenty of that as well. Um, first, they are 1-6 in six in their last seven games and have scored a grand total of 12 runs in those seven games. Yeah, they've, um, they've lost five straight after, you know, the Orioles sweep. Things have been bad. They scored three or less runs in every single game since the Orioles, I'm uh, sorry, since they scored five against the Reds. So, like, they're 0-6 that span also. So, in this stretch, they've scored the five, they won. All the other games, they scored three or less, they lost all of them. It's just not good. Like, we're talking about, we're going to go to more with a little bit. No one's really playing well right now. It's like the entire team is just in a rut. But the thing is, that rut's been going on for 50 games, and we talk a little about that more with Mark. Um it's just frustrating because they've already had to have two team meetings in 50 games. They've had two team meetings. Most people have like two team meetings in 10 years. They've had those twice in 50 games. And that well, kind of I'm going to say they don't seem to things. be working. Yeah, I mean, like, you, <laughs> maybe you they need they, more team meetings. Poor you managerial leadership. You think they sat down? Everyone's like, uh, Davey, you already told us this. Like, you know, we, we know we suck. But like, how are you going to have two team meetings in 50 games? And you're still bad. And I got to say, Davey's like, we're just going to stay positive and go out there and do it again tomorrow. And I'm like, I, I mean, that's one, literally what we should one, not yes, do. <laughs> that's what it is what you're doing. You're going out and doing the exact same thing every day, but you're going not 0 and 1, or you're going 0 and 1, not 1 and 0 every day. Yeah. I don't know. And I understand that's like Davey's shtick is the whole, you know, we're going to stay positive no matter what. But the positivity is wearing a little thin when there's no, you know, there's just no talk, even in his. Post game pressers, or I don't know. I don't know what you even want him to say, but it just, I don't know. It's irritating to see the same, the same thing from the team every day and then hear the same platitudes from the team. Especially every day. when they've been bad for every single part that he's been here, except for from May 24th on. And he's always said the same things over and over and over. And then the front office speaks and they all say the same thing. And the team does the same thing on the field. Every Honestly, day. I don't even know what I want them to say. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just be honest. That's all I want this team to do is be honest and be like, "Yeah, we're not playing very well right now. The season's off to disappointment. We didn't think it'd be like this." Instead of you know, we like the guys we have. We're playing like the backward baseball card. If we keep hitting the ball hard like this, things are going to work out. No, right. just be honest for once. Well, that's exactly why I thought the Davy calling out Juan Soto was extremely performative because nothing else he does really is honest or holds the team accountable if you know Davey was going to come out and say we're absolutely sucking right now and it's not going the way we want to and we need to turn a corner if we have hope this season I'd be like all right I'm on board but the fact that he's just like oh let me take this one opportunity to call out Juan Soto and then go back to, to exactly what I was doing before 
it, it's not working. It just isn't. So not that you can put it all on Davey because the offense needs to be better. But at the same time, it's just getting so old. Like th- this positivity, it, it's a it's a solid, you know, strategy. But you need to have a dose of realism and you need to keep it real with your team. They know. Like these are major league guys. These are grown ass men. Like they know they're not doing well right now. So this positivity, like trying to keep up team spirit and morale, like, yeah, th- that plays a part into it. But it's not like, you know, a little league team. They're well aware of what they need to do, what's on the line, you know, what they're not doing, what they are doing, all of that stuff. So keep it real with them. The, this positivity shtick is just, it's getting old and it's pretty frustrating when you see the same thing happen for 50 games now. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Starling Castro, who had an 11 game hitting streak earlier in the year. Um, it was really looking was really looking quite good. And again, on a team where nobody is really, you know, being a superstar, um, you know, Castro was solid in exactly the way that we needed him to be. But that has fallen off a cliff. In the last 15 games, he's slashing 173, 228, 231. Yeah, and so Castro's power isn't there either. Um, this entire year, he's basically just been a singles merchant. The problem with that, the entire lineup's basically been a singles merchant with some home runs sprinkled in. He hasn't been good this year at all. Um, his OPS plus is 83. Um, MLB average is 100. His career average is 897. So he's always been a little below average, but now it's way below average. Um, his OPS is 645. MLB average is usually around 710. So he's well below average in that. He's bad. And the thing that hurts about this is you just got to play him. You just got to play him through it. Like, yeah, you have no options. Yeah. It's, it's not like you can go, all right, Carter, come on up. You can't because you are still trying to win the division and trying to make the wild card even at this point, which if the Giants keep this up, you can kiss the, the wild card goodbye because the Giants are on pace to win over 90 games, and that'll be three teams in the West. But you have to keep playing him, and you're going to have to hope he can figure it out because right now it's been a pretty bad year for him. Um, he's about... 21 22 points below his regular career batting average his slugging is about 70 points below his his uh career slugging on base is pretty close he's still getting on at that somewhat a little bit above 300 clip he normally does but the singles aren't really there and the power isn't really there right now he's kind of lagging in those and i don't know if it's kind of just getting used to you know having his healthy hand again if there's still something there or he just like everyone else there's something off with the entire team he's just another one of those casualties i don't know yeah you want to see a fan base revolt play jordy mercer every day and see what happens <laughs> like that that's your next that, that's your next option so it's tough at, at this point it, it's early we'll, we'll see how june goes i think we all know how june's gonna go for the Nats. It's going to be but, the same thing every day. Like, right. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather see Luis Garcia every day. Yeah, you know, he's young. He's probably not ready, but Yeah, but at this well. point, what do you have to lose? I mean, I, again, it's only May 31st, so you don't want to, like, punt the whole season. But, you know, if another, honestly, like another two weeks of what we're seeing, especially if any of the other teams in the NLE start to pull away, then I say, you know, play play Garcia every day. Maybe he's not ready, but if you play him every day at the big league level, maybe he's ready for next year. At this, I mean, 
again, we're not trying to punt on the season on May 31st, like you just said, but I'm sure we'll talk about it once the trade deadline approaches and whatnot, but flip Castro for, you know, a mid-level pitching prospect, flip Schorber for a couple prospects, you know, they're not going to trade Max. I don't think they're going to. And no matter how much baseball sense it makes, I don't want them to. Right. And that, that's I don't fine. Care. I, I, I really just, don't like emotionally. I don't, think, I don't want them to do it. <laughs> I, I, I get it. So I don't think they will, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't trade these other guys. Especially. Oh yeah. Especially I mean, I don't have any emotional connect- connection. No, no, I'm not talking about shift, you. I'm just yeah. saying like for the Nats perspective, the worst thing that can happen is something like last year where they just don't do anything. Yeah, that was so. I still I remember the episode after the trade deadline last year. We were like, seriously, nothing. Like they did literally nothing at the deadline. Right. It was just, and and it was clear within a month after the deadline that they should have traded everybody that wasn't nailed down. But yeah, I just think like I said with with guys like Schwarber and Castro and anybody who might have a little bit of value, I think it makes sense to go ahead and do it because. We've talked before about how you have to be kind of ruthless in baseball and do what needs to be done to keep the team competitive. So there are certain guys like, honestly, if Harper had stayed here, he would have been untouchable forever. You know what I mean? Like there are guys who mean everything to your franchise and fans are emotionally connected to them. And they're a big part of sort of the identity of your team. And Max is one of those guys. So I don't care how much sense it might make. I don't want to see Max graded. I want to see Max. I hope, if he wants to come back and it's a reasonable deal, I hope they keep him here. I'd like him to never wear another uniform before he goes into the Hall of Fame. As a tiger. Shut your mouth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Bex decides to go in as a tiger? I would laugh. So I be, I would be hurt. I would be hurt would so be much, really but I would funny. also laugh so hard. It would be the ultimate troll job. Yeah. 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 It would be funny and hurtful all at once. Mm-hmm. All right. One more in our ugly section, which is... Trey Turner, whom I love dearly, but holy crap, in his last seven, slash line is 160, 250. This can't be right. 160. What did we write down here? 160, 250, 160. That's wow. right. Is that, that, I, <laughs> that's how bad he's been. That's I'm, right. <laughs> I'm speechless. I'm like, no, this, this can't be true. <laughs> it's a little inflated today because he struck out four times, but still, it, it hasn't been pretty. Yeah. So eight strikeouts, only two RBIs, and two runs scored in that. In that span, yeah, he um he big, had a first. Yikes! He went over five with four Ks today. I think that was the first four K game of his career. Um, his numbers have slowly been coming back down. He's hitting three hundred three, three forty nine, four ninety eight on the year. Still an incredible year, but when you're the only good player on your team, it's kind of gonna you know hard to keep up that pace. Also, everything regresses towards the mean. He is also coming back more towards his career average a little bit which is fine. He's still having a great year. A regression like this is completely normal. The only thing that sucks is when you're the only good player on your team and you start, you know, you start sucking, guess what? You lose six straight games and it hurts. Um, my favorite thing though is the Nats have been tweeting out his home run and stolen base pace the entire year. And each time they tweet it, it's just lower and lower and lower because he's been slowing down, which again, that's normal. That's expected. Um, it's just, you really want to hope that guys behind them start getting better because Trey Turner and Josh Bell have the same number of runs scored. I think Josh Bell might have one more run scored because he hit the home run today. That's because everyone behind Trey Turner has been so bad. 
these guys need to get going so Trey can be more consistent. We saw him swinging at pitches well, zone like he normally never does, but that's what happens. Well, and he's pressing like everybody is because just like we were talking about with the the pitching staff, knowing they have to be perfect because it's the only way they're going to win, the the pressure on Trey is enormous. He's the only player Mm -hmm. who's been playing well. And you can see it. You can see him expanding the strike zone. You can see him. You can see the frustration. And usually he's a pretty, I don't know, introverted isn't the right word, but he's, he's a pretty even keeled guy. You know, you don't see a ton of, he gets a little mad sometimes. Like unless Joe Torrey is involved, then all hell breaks loose. He's (laughs) right. I'm saying, unless it's really like, he, it's not like he never shows any emotion during the games, but it's usually stuff that's well-deserved. He's not just a guy who you can read frustration in his body language generally, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you can. I feel like you can. You can see the frustration in him right now. Well, speaking of frustration, um, we talked a lot about the Nats' frustrations in our interview with Mark Zuckerman of Masson Sports. Thank you very much. Um, all three of us sat down with him. It was a really good interview. We talked about is this who the Nats are? Um, the pressure upon the pitching staff. What's going on? What needs to change? Will things change? And we also did a pretty fun rapid fire segment with him so we hope you guys enjoy we are now joined by mark zuckerman of mass and sports you guys can find him on twitter at mark zuckerman and make sure you head on over to massandsports.com to keep up with all things nats and all of mark's latest pieces mark how you doing man thanks for joining us hi my pleasure how are you guys doing today uh I'm great thanks doing it doing well uh the weather is kind of nice today Sucked over the weekend, and unfortunately, so did the Nats. <laughs> um, after sweeping those, they went one and five. They scored nine runs in their last six games. They got shut out twice in that span and only managed three runs this weekend against the Brewers. And the biggest question about this team is the offense. Is this who they are, just a really inconsistent and at times outright dormant offense? Or is this just a really brutal 50-game stretch and things will turn around? Yeah, you know, I've got to believe they can't be this bad because if they are, uh, I'm, I'm shuddering to think of what the next four months are going to be like if this is who they actually are offensively. So, I mean, I start with Juan Soto. This cannot be who he is unless he's injured. And he insists that he's not. I asked him the other day if the shoulder is bothering him still either in the field or at the plate, and he insisted that it's not. So, that's got to turn around. He's too good of a hitter. He works too hard at it um, to think that this is is who he really is. So I think that alone is going to make a big difference uh, whenever he finally gets it going. We've seen Bell and Schwarber get better. We know Trey Turner is good. Uh, to me, Starlin Castro is a huge problem right now, and you hope that it does get better. He doesn't hit for any power at all, and that's not who he was supposed to be when they got him. They made a big deal out of uh, what he did in Miami the second half of that season, suddenly becoming a power hitter. And we haven't seen any of that. So they need him to be better, of course. Um, you know, and then the bottom half of the lineup, you know, I think we know what it is at this point. That's not the way they're going to win games. It's going to have to come from the top half. But I, I got to believe that it is going to get better than this. Is it going to become a good lineup? I don't know if I can go that far. But they don't necessarily need it to be. If they're still ultimately built on their pitching, then they can win games with a little bit of offense. Maybe you can win some games three to two. The problem is right now it's a challenge just to score three runs. That That's astounding how hard it is for them just to score three runs a game. 
Yeah, and you you mentioned the pitching staff. Something people don't talk about a lot is when your offense isn't scoring, that takes a toll on the pitching staff when they're going out there knowing they might be lucky to just get three runs. What type of impact is that having on the pitching staff that you are seeing with them knowing they're going to have to be perfect tonight if this team's going to win the game? Yeah, you know, they'll never, like, come out and admit it, but they know it. Uh, when Max Scherzer gives up a first inning home run yesterday and all of a sudden they're down 2 nothing, of course he knows that it's going to be a real challenge, especially against Brandon Woodruff, um, that it's going to be really tough to come back and win that game. And so there is, I'm sure, a feeling among them of that they have to be perfect. I mean, Max literally made one mistake in that game yesterday, and that's not the first time. He, he's had a bunch of games here where he makes one, maybe two mistakes. Unfortunately, they often turn into home runs. That's about the only way he gives up runs. But, like, you should still be able to win a game when your ace pitcher makes one mistake. That shouldn't cost you a game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think it takes a toll on all of them. And uh, it's why they just need to have some semblance of a, of a competent lineup, take the pressure off the, the starters and the bullpen ultimately, and let them know that, okay, just go out and give us a chance to win. You don't have to necessarily win the game for us, but just give us a chance Right now, the offense is essentially asking their pitching staff to win the game for them, and that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, it definitely is a tough spot to be in. I read your piece from yesterday where you you noted that Scherzer's given up uh, 15 of the 18 runs he's allowed this season have been scored via home runs. And, of course, that's kind of par for the course with Max. He always, you know, has, especially early in games, given up a solo homer here or there. But as you noted, it should not cost the game. And I almost felt like that yesterday. I saw that two-run homer, and I was like, well, that might be it. I don't know if this lineup can score two runs. <laughs> yeah, so, it, it felt that way. I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but, yeah, it felt that way when they're down 2 nothing. what, four batters in, and you're thinking – I mean, mostly because of who they were facing. It was Woodruff. If it was somebody else, you'd think, okay, there's a shot. But that combination of the way the lineup is right now and Brandon Woodruff, yeah, it felt like that was going to be it. Yeah, it was tough to take. <laughs> uh, well, let's stick with the pitching theme here just for a second. Um, I know much has been made of the potential for a six-man rotation. That doesn't actually seem that likely. Um, it looks like Fetty's going to pitch Wednesday. Do you have any sense of who's going to be the odd man out once everybody's back in the rotation? Yeah, so this, this thing's been lingering for, for weeks now. We keep wondering. And it's amazing how something always happens to sort of push that decision down the road. Uh, there was a point that we just assumed it would be Fetty would lose the job when Strasburg came back. Then all of a sudden he has a great start in Arizona and Joe Ross is looking shaky. So now maybe Ross is the one who's going to be out. Then Fetty gets test positive for COVID and that pushed it down the road a bit. So I, you said the six man rotation. I agree. I don't think this is a long-term solution, but I wouldn't be surprised if just this week we see it because uh, the double header on Saturday is going to force them to have an extra starter. And that game comes up on Wednesday. So I think it'll be Fetty. They haven't said for sure. He threw, uh, what, 60 pitches over four innings in a simulated game the other day. It, he would technically be on short rest if he starts on Wednesday, but it's not quite the same if you're coming off a simulated game versus a real game. So I, I think they would go ahead and do that. So technically, they would have all six guys pitching this term. And then after that, somebody's going to have to go. So the, the logical answer all along has been Fetty. I think that's the way they went into the season expecting it to go. But he pitched so well in Arizona, seven scoreless. I mean, probably the best start of his life. And you just 
thinking to yourself, is he really going to lose his job now after this? Especially when Joe Ross has been a little more inconsistent. Now, Ross looked good in that game the other night before the rain hit. So, I mean, I mean that's a good problem to have is that the, the candidates here are trying to make their case to stay in the rotation. You'd rather have that than the alternative. Uh, and I think ultimately everybody's going to be starting games when it's all said and done. But for now, my hunch would be unless Fetty, you know, you know, so unless Ross has a terrible start against the Braves and Fetty looks great, I think it probably is Fetty that goes to the bullpen, at least for now. Unfortunately, I don't think that's good for Eric. I don't think it's good for the team. We've seen him get bounced around before, and it doesn't really suit him. Same thing with Joe, for that matter. I think they're best when they can start every fifth day, and they're just not in a position to be able to do that. And this is where their lack of options comes into play. The team can't send anybody down to the minors. Uh, without risking losing them on waivers. So this is kind of a tough spot that they're in, and I think they're going to end up putting somebody in the bullpen who's not really a bullpen arm, and that's not going to help their development, and it's probably going to hurt the, the team because now you're dropping somebody else in the bullpen who maybe does deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah. No good options. <laughs> yeah. You make a great point because I'm a huge Joe Ross fan, and it was pretty maddening to see him bounce back and forth between the rotation and the pen you know, when he, when he was up with the club for the first time. So I, I definitely hope that he and Eric Fetty, for that matter, kind of stick to a role that better suits them, and hopefully it's in the rotation. But should they, you know, go to a five-man rotation, the easiest way to kind of resolve that issue about who goes and who stays is to trade somebody. And that, that's been a hot topic amongst Nats fans forever now. There was the, the Max Scherzer infamous, you know, uh, idea to trade him that kind of divided everyone and had fans up in arms. So I wanted to ask you, not that we're trying to be negative because, uh, you know, we're, we, we, we're known to be positive, um, <laughs> but what needs to, well, okay, let me rephrase. What happens in the next month plus that pushes the Nats to sell to not only sell the, the expiring contracts, uh, you know, maybe like a Lester or Shorber or whatever, but someone like Max who means so much to the franchise too. Is there a scenario where that happens or is that just, you know, an idea that probably will never happen? <laughs> I mean, I think it's in the realm of possibility. Sure. I think a lot of things have to go wrong in the next month, month and a half that to happen. Uh, they have to, you know, bottom out and, and, you know, <laughs> I, uh, Al Galdi and I in our Nats Chat podcast, we brought up today, okay, is this rock bottom where they are right now this right. weekend, or can it get worse? <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's scary to think about that, but it's always possible. You know, Manny Acta years ago was asked, is this rock bottom? And he laughed and said, it can always get worse. And it did in that case, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, you know, if it continues to go downhill, uh, and, and particularly, though, if somebody else in the NL East starts to run away with it, whether mm -hmm. it's the Mets, the Braves, I don't really see the Phillies doing that or the Marlins doing that. So, you know, if you get to July and you are now 10, 12, 15 games out of it and you're well under 500 and all three teams in the West look like they're still going to be good and that's your, your only path to the wild card. So now you have to win the division if you're going to make the playoffs. Then, yeah, there is a scenario where Mike Rizzo says, OK, we need to kind of rebuild this thing and start over. Now, that's a lot of ifs that I just presented to you. And on top of all that, it's just not in Mike Rizzo's nature to concede to that effect. I mean, they've only done it really once in 2018. And even that was a sort of half-hearted con concession. Right. 
where they, they traded the guys whose contracts were up, but, um, you know, they didn't trade Harper. Uh, you know, they didn't trade some other guys who were signed longer term that maybe you'd get a lot for. They also they, waited till the waiver deadline too. They didn't even do that's that. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. On July 31st, they felt like they were maybe still in it. And then it wasn't until August that, uh, what Matt Adams and Ryan Madsen and some others were gone. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not his character to do that. And then on top of it all, let's add the learners to this equation. Mm-hmm. Are they ready to concede and blow it up and start all over again? And I don't know that that's necessarily in their uh, mindset of the way they want to operate right now, at least. So, I mean, certainly there's an argument to say that in the long run, that there is some value in trying to do that, that it would make some sense if the team really does fall apart. But I think organizationally, they still feel like this is a team that can contend. And even if it doesn't happen this year, that they would still be in a position to try to contend again next year. You have an ownership that's trying to sell tickets and recoup all the money they lost last year during the pandemic. And a full scale rebuild isn't going to help in that cause. So you can argue the baseball merits of it, but I could see from a business standpoint them saying, um, look, unfortunately, this year didn't go the way we wanted it to. uh, But we still have Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, maybe re-signing Max Scherzer. I don't think that's out of the question over the winter. And, you know, maybe finally some money to go spend on free agents. And and they feel like they have a chance to win again next year. So, again, it's possible, but I'd still put that like the full scale, blow it up, rebuild. I would still put it a pretty low percentage at this point. Yeah, it's certainly not out of. Well, I feel like it's out of the realm. Mike Rizzo's (laughs) never done that. Put put everything aside. One of the important pieces coming into the year was they obviously expected Juan Soto to put up the ridiculous numbers he did the last couple of years, and he isn't right now. One of the guys who will help lengthen the the lineup is Victor Robles. He was finally getting hot at the plate, then he went on the IL. Um, Luis Garcia was just optioned, opening up the roster spot. Are they confident that Victor Robles is ready? And if so, do you think he can bat leadoff when he comes back and really help try to turn things around? I would love to see that, guys. I've been pushing for Robles as the leadoff hitter for a long time now. And I think deep down, that's what Davey Martinez wants also. You saw him do it in spring training with the Robles Soto Turner, one, two, three. And that that has always, to me, been the ideal way to set it up because if Robles can just get on base and and we've seen him show signs of being able to do that now you have Soto hitting second and having the protection of Trey Turner behind him now you know at the moment Juan Soto struggling to the fact that he's not going to get pitched around that much although I was shocked that the Brewers intentionally walked Soto to face Zimmerman the other day I thought that was a mistake on their part given the current state of Soto and Zimmerman swings Um, but I have always felt like the best thing they can do for Soto is to give him the best protection behind him. And I think Trey Turner is that guy, the best protection. And what that does is it allows your best hitters in theory to come up with runners on base more and actually maximize the production you get from them. When it's Turner Soto one, two, to me, there's a lot of solo homers and a lot of opportunities that just don't ever come because they don't get to hit with runners on base. So that's my long winded way of saying, I would love to see that happen. Um, my hunch, because they sent Garcia down yesterday, because Robles was able to get four at bats, uh, for Harrisburg in the game in Bowie, uh, and he only DH'd, he didn't play center field. And I know ideally they'd like him to play the field, but he stole a base. He ran the bases. So it, it would seem to me that you know, without having seen it myself, that his ankle is okay. 
So my hunch is that they're, they'll activate him today. And if it's not today, at least in the next day or two. Uh, and then let's see what they do lineup-wise. I would like to see it. Um, I, we've seen what the Turner, Soto, Bell, Schwarber, one through four looks like and what it does. It hasn't really worked all that well. Uh, to me, give something else a try. Robles has made some strides. Yeah, he's not all the way there yet. But what's the harm? I mean, he, he, he hit, I think it was eight games to start the season in the leadoff spot. And that was it. They gave up on him. And I, I think it's worth another shot. Give him a prolonged opportunity to see what he can do and what that then does to lengthen the rest of the lineup. Yeah, it was definitely a short sample size that they gave him. And coming out of spring training, it seemed like that's what we all expected was Robles to get a fair shake at the leadoff position. And it's argued that he might not have. Um, so definitely, you know, if he comes back and bats leadoff, we hope the best. But as we've seen this season, you know, Juan Soto, and Trey Turner, to an extent, really need protection. Um, and that was kind of the biggest question coming uh, into spring training out of, you know, the, the offseason was the, you know, inability or whatever it may have been to address the protection for Juan Soto and ideally a big power right-handed bat. Is that still on the table for the Nats? I, I mean, I know, you know, Overall, they're not great, but within the NL East, they're still in striking distance. It's still anyone's division. So are they, you know, potentially gearing up for, let's say, a Chris Bryant or someone of that magnitude to kind of push them over the top and say, hey, let's go get the division? Well, I think Mike Rizzo would love to be in a position to be able to make that case to ownership and say, yes, let's go get that big bat. It's up to the players now to put them in that position. If they're mm -hmm. seven games under 500, it's not going to happen. They've got to get over the hump and get you know, legitimately into the mix to justify that kind of move. Um, you know, whether it's a Chris Bryant or whether it's a, a lesser, you know, uh, I'm just going to throw out some names here of like third baseman, uh, Eduardo Escobar, Kyle Seager, right. you know, some, somebody like that who's maybe not quite as big a name, doesn't cost as much in, in, in a trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they would love to be in a position to be able to do something like that, but they've got to get in position first. And they're not there yet. Um, you know, the, the problem also with all of this is what do you have to trade away? They don't have a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, at this point, if they can't trade away Cade Cavalli, he's the one and only legitimate pitching prospect right now. Um, Jackson Rutledge has been hurt and hasn't been great to start his season. Mason Denenberg just had Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, you know, Carter Keeboom's value has plummeted. So I don't know how much they have to offer in a trade for a big-name guy like Bryant. Now, maybe because it's only a rental for two or three months, it doesn't cost as much, mm -hmm. and maybe you can get away with it. Um, but I, I wonder if ultimately, if they're in a position to make a move, if it ends up having to be more of like when they acquired Howie Kendrick or when they acquired Ezrubel Cabrera, these are cheaper moves to be made that don't require major prospects to give up. Um, you know, let's see if they can get themselves in the position for that. They've never gone out and gotten a big bat at the deadline. It's always been a reliever. Mm -hmm. Maybe for the first time ever, they're in a position to get a big bat, but they need to number one, be within striking distance. And then number two, be able to justify whatever the expense of that is going to be when you have a very limited sample of, uh, of prospects to try and trade. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting position to be in, whether we're going to be, you know, the, are the Nats going to be buyers or sellers? And of course, what happens over the next month, month and a half is going to determine that. But 
you know, it's this catch 22 at this point, can they win enough to make being buyers realistic, but they won't go get them anything to help. <laughs> what is obviously, I think what you described in a recent piece is a tepid lineup, which seems as a pretty generous description. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I mean, it, it is. And I can't say I ever remember them to this extent from a lineup standpoint, especially when, again, consider the names that are in this lineup. This isn't the 2011 team. You know, these are legitimate big names in the lineup. And uh, that's why it's hard to imagine that they could continue to that extent. Um, but, you know, let's see. But it, you're right. And the the worst case scenario, to, to be honest, in my mind, is kind of what happened in 2018, where they just hung around close enough to think that they might still have a run in them. And so they they sold a little bit, but didn't go all in on a sell. They didn't buy and that left them stuck there. So they either need to take off to the point that they are really in it and can go aggressively make moves, or <laughs> you hate to say it, but that you'd rather them fall apart to the extent that they could maybe do the sell-off like we were discussing earlier. What you don't want to have happen is them to be, you know, three games under 500 and maybe five games out of the race mm -hmm. in July, and now you're kind of in no man's land, and what do you do? And the answer is probably stand pat. And that doesn't seem to benefit them in either the short term or the long term. Yeah, mediocrity is probably the worst thing that can happen at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Also similar to kind of I, last year was a little bit different because of the shortened season. But, you know, we were all kind of scratching our heads when Rosa didn't make any moves at the deadline. Uh, again, different situation. But, yeah, I agree. Doing nothing is the worst possible outcome. Yeah, um, switching gears a little bit, we're going to do – some more fun rapid fire questions um, before we end with probably the most important question you ever be asked. So uh, getting okay. started, <laughs> getting it started with the rapid fire, the Nats have played a lot of seven inning double headers. What is your take? Are you pro or anti seven inning double headers? I hate the seven inning game. <laughs> yes, it drives me crazy. The worst. Even though the one the other night took three hours just to play <laughs> seven innings. That was brutal, but no, it's not real baseball. It changes the strategy. Uh, and I could go on a real rant here, but I know we're doing rapid fire. I, I understood why they did it last year. I don't think it makes any sense right now. I don't think it's accomplishing what they're trying to claim it was set out to accomplish. So no, ban the seven inning doubleheaders, please. Yes. <laughs> All right. So next question, what are your thoughts on the runner and second base and extra innings? They hated even more than the seven <laughs> innings. I'm a traditionalist in case you haven't figured this out yet. Oh, no, uh, no I, I, I hate the idea of losing a game without giving up a, a, a hit, like without the pitcher doing anything wrong. You can come into a game in the 10th inning and give up a, a sack bunt and a sack fly or just a ground out and a sack fly and you've lost the game. You've mm -hmm. done nothing wrong. There was literally nothing you could do as a pitcher or as a defense to stop that. So um, I, I will concede maybe like for the 12th inning and beyond just to try to, to prevent those super long games. But mm -hmm. give, them a, give them one or two extra innings to try to win it the old-fashioned way. See, I don't really mind the extra inning uh, rule. I kind of I like it. It like, makes it a little more intense going into it, but that's just me. Um, you said you're a classic guy, so I feel like I know your answer. Are you pro or anti-universal DH? <laughs> yeah, anti. Uh, I'm a National League <laughs> yes. guy. If you're up with it. Now, now, what I will say, though, is, and I've come over time to, to come to this conclusion, I'm okay with the two leagues being separate. I, I don't mind there being a distinction between the two. Um, 
for you know for decades and decades there was a, a difference in national league ball versus american league ball and so many other things about it have changed uh where now there isn't you know aside from the dh there really is no difference i don't think that's the worst thing in the world and, and you want to get really traditionalist here i would get rid of interleague play and just go national league only and american league only and to me that would make the world series maybe mean a little more and even the all-star game mean a little more because the only chance they have to play each other so that that's never going to happen of course but uh, and I can see that the universal DH is almost certainly going to happen, if not next year, sometime soon. But I, if it was up to me, no DH. But I'm actually okay with the status quo. I'm okay with one league having one and one not having it, and actually there being a distinction between the two leagues. This makes and- me so happy. Luddites <laughs> of the world unite. <laughs> I say, uh, Amanda is very uh, pro. Anti-fun. Yeah, yeah. Anti fun. Anti fun. No, wait, let, let me just, I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but let me give one other reason for, for um, why I, I still like pitchers hitting. And I, I felt this last year for the first time covering a, a season, as it were, 60 games where there were only DHs. They never used the bench at all. Um, there's no hit pinch hitting hardly at all. There's no strategy. It's not, this isn't because I like to watch pitchers hitting. I mean, every once in a while, it's fun to see Max Scherzer have a long at bat and, you know, single, but it's not about that to me. It's about a complete lack of strategy. You don't need to use your bench. Uh, there is, you know, no pinch hitting, which as we're seeing this year, like that's a lost art. And the Nats are actually good at pinch hitting. So uh, to me, it's about that and making the game more interesting than it is, uh, you know, that I really just love watching pitchers hit. I'm very pro DH, but I, I do like the kind of happy medium, so to speak, of your DH is only in the game as long as you're starting pitcher. Similar how they do it, you know, I coach high school, so that obviously that, that's how you do it if you DH for your pitcher and, and stuff. So I think that's a happy medium where your DH is only in, you know, maybe two at-bats, and when your starting pitcher comes out, that's when you implement more of the NL strategy. So. Uh, that's just curious it seems like they're they're going to do just a, a straight dh like the al has it but just something to think about yeah no i think that's an interesting idea and uh, i haven't really thought it through enough to like play it out in my mind how would this affect the game as it plays out but um it, it's certainly in, worth looking into it a- anything they can come up with to try to just create some more action make the game more interesting i'm all for at this point yep um something that's kind of been in the news a lot for baseball is the dead end baseball in the use of pine tar. Um, Trevor Bauer is very big on pine tar that we know, and there's been a lot of talk with guys using too much pine tar. Do you think that they should limit and enforce better the use of pine tar, or do you think pitchers should just keep using it as they are? So what I could say to that is, and this is what I gather from, from players over the years, they're okay with pitchers using something that just helps them get a grip on the ball. If you're a hitter and you're facing guys that throw 98 to hundred, you want to step up there and be reasonably confident. The ball isn't going to slip out of his hand and come at your head. Mm-hmm. That's what they're concerned about. As long as uh, it's just being done to help the pitcher get a grip, they're okay with it. Where they have problems is if you're using something that then makes the ball move in an unnatural way. That's where the, 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 the line is, I think, drawn unofficially the unwritten rules in this. Now, I don't know what substances do what officially. I think pine tar, the sense is that that's just for grip. It's when you get into the sunscreen and rosin mixtures and (laughs) God knows whatever else they have going on, um, that it it does get to be a little bit dicey. And I think that's where hitters have a problem with it. But if they can find a way to, 
to legalize uh, pine tar or something else that just gives a pitcher a grip, then I'm okay with that. And I think most major leaguers are okay with that. Yeah, I think they'd be a lot more happier if they're not going to take 95 to the Reds every time they come up. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, our last question in our rapid fire round, something they're trying out in the fall leagues is moving the mound back. Do you think they should move the mound back to help with the dominant pitching? Or do you think they should just leave the mound exactly where it is right now? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I, I don't know what the, like the adjustment period for that would be. I mean, it seems like you've grown up your whole life throwing from 60 feet, six inches. And all of a sudden that changes that that could cause some real problems yep. in mechanics and, and potential for injury. So I, that seems extreme to me. Now, having said that, I am all for ways to try to encourage more action in the games. I do not like the direction the game is going um, with fewer balls in play. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of reasons for why that is. Um, great pitching and, and pitchers who throw harder is a big part of it. So I think it's worth at least exploring. And I like that they're trying this at the lower levels and all that to, to get a sense of it. I'd be surprised if it happens at the big league level. Um, but I could see, you know, things like banning the shift. Um, I could even see things like restricting the number of pitchers you're allowed to have on your staff. So that you can't just say, okay, we're going to need four or five innings from our starter day, and then we're just going to have a parade of guys who throw 98 out of the bullpen, one per inning. Um, you know, I, I think there are ways to try to get baseball back into somewhat of a more compelling, more action uh, sport. I, I hope it doesn't result in the mound being changed, but I, you know, at this point, I'm willing for them to at least explore all these things because I do think we've reached a, a point where something has to be done. The direction that the sport's going is not real appealing to me. And I think a lot of fans, it just does not capture your attention to sit around and just wait for a couple of home runs a game. And otherwise everything else is just strikeouts and walks. Yeah. I actually really like the, uh, the, the shift idea or banning the shift, I should say, because uh, I'm pro pitcher, but I agree with you. Uh, the way the game's going isn't very entertaining and I know it doesn't do much for what, where MLB wants the, the game to go. Uh, I had the idea of lowering the mound first before you ever even move it. Cause at least the 60 feet, six inches would remain the same. And maybe they're just not getting su such downward motion. Um, but as Ryan alluded to, we have one important question to you for you before we let you go. And I don't know if you've gotten it before, so bear with us, but okay, uh, ready. We, yeah, ready. we wanted to know, um, you know, what the inspiration was and just how did you come up with the idea for Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> so you know my roommate and i at harvard were trying to pick up on some girls and we tried to figure out how could we uh maybe do this and so we came up with this idea and I, we never really thought it was going to be anything um and it just turned into this you know it, it just kind of exploded before we could even realize what had happened and the only thing i'm going to say is this i still don't think they portrayed me well in the movie um, <laughs> I'm a much nicer person than they showed. I don't have curly hair. Uh, I dress nicer than that. So I, I thought it was an unfair portrayal. 
And um, maybe one of these days there'll be another version of it that comes out that, that paints me in a more positive light. <laughs> I'm glad you took that well because that's one of the funniest things anytime it happens on Twitter. Oh, I always is, laugh. Is seeing time. your replies to someone who thinks you're you're the Facebook inventor and whatnot, which you're clearly not because we've been talking to you for about 30 minutes and you're not a robot like he is. Those Wait, are some I'm not? The I'm not the, are you sure I'm not the guy? Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, I guess I, I jumped the gun. Because a lot a of people bit. think I am, and, and my responses usually suggest that I, that I don't realize I'm not. So, yeah, and it's always funny to me because you're it's not it's not even the same name. Like you could see it if you literally had the same name, but you weren't, you know, obviously at different jobs. But, yeah, I don't I don't get how that many people make that I, I mistake. Mean, but there's there's so many things about it that just baffle me, because like if you're that upset about Facebook, why are you thinking you're going to contact the guy on Twitter? On Twitter. <laughs> like if I have a problem with if I have a problem with Coke, am I going to call the president of Pepsi? You know, yeah. like what's a very good point. I, very that, good. So that it, 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 it baffles me. Um, you know, sometimes it gets annoying when I get overrun with them, but for the most part, I have fun with it. Most of it's lighthearted enough. Every once in a while, there's a, a something. I mean, you guys don't see the one, most of the stuff I get. I don't share most of it. Um, <laughs> usually my rule is if I can come up with a witty response in like five seconds, then I'll do it. If not, I just let it go because chances are another one will come in the next day or two. <laughs> You'll have another opportunity yeah. soon. That's a good yeah. rule. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, every once in a while, like when he speaks to Congress or he's really in the news, I get inundated with it and that can be annoying. <laughs> but for the most part, it's, you know, it happens a couple times a day and sometimes it's funny and it, sometimes it just, they tee me up perfectly for something that I can respond with that has to do with the nationals or baseball and um, you know, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> I, so I'd imagine you're like just relaxing after a day and you get like a notification that like he changed something about Facebook and you just have this, oh no, oh. <laughs> like, what's coming your way. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do. I do know. Oh no, it's coming now. Yeah. Before it actually happens, I know it's going to be coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the first well, we're time certainly ha- glad we've got you here on the Nats, Nats beat instead of running yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell people that, you know, I don't have his money, but I hope I have more friends than it's actual and real life friends <laughs> yes right right well mark um we want to thank you once again for taking time out of your day and coming on the show hopefully the nats will be able to slowly start turning things around um once again you guys can find them on twitter at mark zuckerman and make sure you head on over to massandsports.com to keep up with all things nats and also make sure you guys check out his podcast as well mark thanks so much man Thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Once again, thank you so much to Mark uh, for coming on the show. You're a fantastic interview. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. And make sure you guys head on over to MassInSports.com and keep up with all of his latest work. And heaters, that interview with Mark Zuckerman and all of our interviews and all of our episodes are brought to you by Manscaped. Support for today's episode, all of our episodes, comes from Manscaped because Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. And as I mentioned last week, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for your dad. So head on over to Manscaped. Check out their plethora of great uh, items and um, you know solutions for your male grooming needs and just you know gift ideas for your dad. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. There's a ton, a ton of great stuff that I highly recommend. So 
get it done. There's absolutely no reason not to. It's a great gift. Do it. Get it done now. 20% off and free shipping using our promo code HSHH20. Yes. And uh, if your dad still needs more things, like if you guys are really close and you need extra gifts for him, make sure you check out our Tee Public site as well and uh, get him some sweet half street high heat gear to go along with his male grooming supplies. Yeah, because they pair perfectly together. Two great things that yeah. go great together. That's all I'm saying. All right. Our next one's going to be a fun segment. We are calling this Mad Libs. We are doing a fill in the blank style segment. I'm going to ask questions, and Nick and Ryan are going to give us their I'm thoughts. so excited. Yes, this one's going to be fun. Okay. Blank is the most disappointing player on the team. Oh, my God. Only one? You only get one. You have to pick one player. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to go with Juan Soto right now, but I feel like that's kind of just too much pressure was put on him. Um, and he's in a slump, so I feel bad. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Juan right now. Oh, man. Yeah, it's tough when you only can pick one. I <laughs> know. So we have a lot of potential answers here. Uh, God. Like, I guess Josh Bell, but even then he, he's starting to turn a corner. And Kyle Schwarber is basically who he has been his career. Like, not a high average, some power. Um, God, this is tough. Yeah, I guess Juan Soto, Victor Robles is about what I expected. All right, I'm going to go Brad Hand. Oh, and interesting one. It, it's only because we really needed him to be this you know basically one tier up from where he is now because he hasn't been terrible but we needed him to be locked down and he, he's been struggling he started great but he, he's been really struggling recently and that just can't happen especially in these close games we find ourselves in if we're even in a position to win these i was games, gonna say save we, opportunities we, are few and far between yeah we right really now. needed him to be elite and I, I would have loved the idea of flexing him, you know, if you needed a, lo- a lefty matchup in the seventh, then use him in the seventh. And right now they haven't been doing that. That's probably too advanced for Davey Martinez to conjure up. Um, but, like, it, it's just he hasn't been bad. But as far as disappointing goes, I wanted an elite level closer. Maybe that was a little too much to ask for based on, you know, how his uh, – the progression of his recent years has been going. And we talked about that at the time of the signing, but we really needed something a little bit more from that, but it's a one-year deal. No such thing as bad one-year deal. So not going to be too beat up about it. I can't believe neither of you chose Corbin. I thought for sure. I just, oh, wow. I completely forgot. About I choose him. not to talk about him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next one is blank is the most surprising player on the team. <clears throat> So surprisingly good or surprisingly bad? Either way, you can pick. Just oh, surprising. Surprising. This is a Juan Soto one. I don't think anyone expected it to be even um, a slump right now. But I don't want to toot my own horn, but my bullet prediction was he would have an OPS below 900 this year, and his OPS is below 800 right now. So could Chiga. So um, that's the opposite of surprising then, because you expected it. So yes, yeah, this, but is like, this is true. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not something I wanted to be right about. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh, man, surprising. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. Nick, you go. I'm still thinking. <laughs> uh, this is a little bit of a cop-out. I'm just going to go Max Scherzer in, in, a, in an obviously good way. 
I thought we were going to see a mid three ZRA and I was going to be fine with it because he's what? 36, 37. I think 37. Yeah. So, you know, father time is undefeated and Max Scherzer is giving father time a run for his money at this point. He is, if this team was better, he would be in the Cy Young conversation. Yeah, he's at a two, three, four ERA right now. Right. So, I mean, he he still might be, but it, it's just it's just frustrating that you're getting another great, excellent, well, whatever you know, adjectives you can find for you just this amazing season for Max Scherzer, and it's, it's just wasted. Why is that such a DC sports thing to waste prime years of their stars? It's incredibly frustrating, and it would have hurt a little bit less if Max Scherzer was a mid-threes pitcher, and he was perfectly fine. You know, this contract already lived up to the the dollars and cents, so he could go out there and have an eight ERA, and we wouldn't care. But the fact that you're getting another Cy Young caliber season, and we are absolute trash on the field, it's just who's stinks. more frustrated than max by that stinks, by the way exactly Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. no he's not talking to anyone that like the locker room just staring at i don't blame at them. him i do not blame darling at he's the, like, him and looking at him with those, everybody with those eyes scaring you to death stuff right. with nightmare i got my answer all right i'm going sam clay mainly because for oh. a while Whoa. every time he came on the field i was like who is this I, I know. Like, I was going to say, wow, that was not on my radar. I was, I was like, who is this? But 15.2 innings. Um, he's got a 2.87 ERA. He's mm-hmm. pitching really well this year. He's 12 strikeouts. Um, only a lot of it's seven walks, which you know, you, got, you got to bring that down, big guy. But he's pitching really well, and it's really surprising because for a while I didn't know who he was. Every time I saw him on my TV, so yeah, he's a, he's going to be my guy. I like it. Again, one. I was thinking one of you guys dive. would go with Carter Keboom, who. Surprising, I, no, not I, I not just for this year. I think but we I mean, all expected it, though. I know, but I mean in general, like if you went back to who Carter Keboom was supposed to be, like how bad he is. I only talk about right. major league players. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, <laughs> blank is untouchable at the trade deadline. Non Soto division. Non Soto division. Non Soto. No one. We all know Soto is not touchable absolutely no one Juan Soto is the only untouchable you listen to conversations on every single person that includes Max Scherzer and that includes Trey Turner Hmm. okay Hmm. Nick what do you got yeah I don't think I don't think anyone else qualifies obviously interesting yeah there's guys you would like to keep because they probably you know are due for a little bit of a bounce back you know, positive uh, regression, no, progression towards the mean. There we go. That's what I was looking for. But you can't say no to to any of these deals. If someone offers you a, a King's Ransom for Trey or Max or, you know, overpays for any of those next tier guys, you take it just the way the Nats are right now. Well, they, yeah. they won't. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I thought I got myself muted in time. <laughs> Jesus. Boys are uh, gross. All right. <laughs> Blank should not be on the team next year. Oh, man. You only can pick um, one before you get excited. <laughs> only one? Um. <laughs> yeah, he's just still laughing. I'm going to go. 
he is still lapping. I'm going to go Starlin Castro, mainly because Luis Garcia is going to pick him, but also he's been really frustrating with how bad he's been this year. <laughs> wow. You guys all right? <laughs> it's like, is his, is his computer frozen, or is he just laughing in the same tone over and over? I don't know. I can't tell. Vic, are you still with us? Huh. <laughs> He's still with us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All Are right. You give us somebody who shouldn't be on the team next year. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. I I don't know. I, I apparently, you know, the burp completely like derailed the <laughs> microphone or something. All, all we heard was a faint just... <laughs> it sounded like you were laughing. Oh, I was laughing for a long time. I completely derailed this episode. Um <laughs> Starling Castro was going to be my answer. There's, yeah, like he's still young enough. He'll probably get another contract somewhere, but it shouldn't be on this team. His teammates get younger. Um, I'm going to go Kyle Schorber. Um, you know who he is at this point, and this team doesn't lend itself to have that kind of player on the team because his skill set, we're relying on him. And Kyle Schwarber needs to be on a team that he doesn't need to be the guy. He can just accentuate a currently good lineup and make it better. And right now we're relying on him and it's not working. And same thing can really be said for Josh Bell, but I do like Josh Bell and he's cheap enough next year that you you give him another go at it. Um, But Kyle Schwarber with his contract coming up, the fact that he's what 10 million this year, he'll probably command about the same money next year. No, we need to move on. All right, next one is blank will have the biggest turnaround over the rest of the season. Um, hopefully it's Juan Soto, but to mix it up, I am going to go with Patrick Corbin, mainly because if this team is going to turn it around, they need the guys they're paying to start playing well. We have seen some little, little, little slivers of hope when it comes to Patrick. Um, so I'm going to go with Patrick. I really hope he turns it around. This team needs him to, and I hope he stops throwing his damn sinker because guys are hitting like 8,000 off of it. Um, um, numbers approximate. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's may, slight, slight exaggeration. Stop throwing that um, and just go back to your fastball slider like you did in 2019 when you are so successful because this team kind of really needs you pretty badly. Yeah, get rid of that sinker and like his ERA is probably cut in half based on the numbers against it. Um, I don't hate that one. I think Steven Strasburg's in the same conversation. If he can just stay healthy, uh, he'll have a pretty good rest of the 2021 season. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll leave it up to you guys if this counts or not. I'm going to say Josh Bell and that mainly is what he's been doing right now. Maybe not quite to the level cause he's been great the past, you know, what 14 games or however long it's been at this point. I think it continues. And he finishes the season with pretty solid statistics, maybe like a a 240 batting average and 30-plus home runs and a decent amount of RBI. Well, probably not a lot of RBIs because no one's getting on base ahead of him. But um, I I think Josh Bell continues to to be solid. And 240 average on this team is – that's hero shit. Stop. Sorry, I said a bad (laughs) word. Yeah. I said a bad word. All right, moving on. Okay, uh, blank is the biggest problem for the Nats this year. Oh, man. 
everything. No, um, roster construction, without a doubt, is the biggest problem. Coming into the year, it was very obvious they needed another bat. They needed to address third base, and they didn't. Um, Kyle Schwarber is who he is, which is fine if Josh Bell was hitting, if Juan Soto was hitting, if Starlin Castro was hitting, if the entire team was hitting. They're not. That would be fine if they weren't hitting if they're pitching because the Brewers, their offense stinks, but the Brewers have dominant pitching. So it balances out and they're, you know, they're in the mix of things right now. Their pitching isn't there either. It's just poor roster construction. They went into the year with a very old starting rotation, which probably was going to be its last year being good. They needed to do more offensively and they didn't. I understand maybe money was whatever you did, whatever you could, but you sat there and you said, ownership has given me marching orders to field a championship roster and you failed. We are 50 games this season. They have not once shown any light whatsoever. They haven't been over 500 since they're one and oh, you have failed. They don't have an identity right now. This franchise going forward does not have an identity right now. And roster construction is its biggest, biggest issue. Uh absolutely hit the nail on the head i'm gonna take it one step further and say the the combination of the roster construction and the manager basically davy martinez has shown himself to to be a manager that needs everything to be laid out for him and he can you know take a perfectly constructed roster and make it better because he is a players manager and seems like a likable guy and it's probably the best manager we've had but, you know, be, when you put this roster on the field in front of him, he doesn't know what to do. And we, we've kind of seen that in 2018 and the beginning of 2019. And then everyone got healthy, and it was the first time, and it seems like uh, a decade that, that everyone got healthy at the same time for an extended period of time. And we had a lot of success, obviously. But when this team, you know, when the roster starts changing and guys start leaving and guys get hurt, Davies' flaws really show. So the fact that the roster construction, like Ryan said, didn't have depth and didn't have those safeguards in place with guys like Anthony Rendon and, you know, Bryce Harper before that and whatnot, the fact that the lineup didn't have those and just doesn't have a lot of depth is really exposing Davey Martinez's weaknesses and not highlighting his strengths. So I think the combination of that is doomed the Nats from the start. All right. Then I'm going to have two more. These are a little different. Um, I'm going to give you a sentence and you're going to pick an adjective to finish the sentence. What's an adjective? Word, whatever word comes to your mind. One word. The Nats Earth. bullpen situation this season is blank. Striking. Is that a um, pun? <laughs> no, I was trying to think of a pun. That was a pun. Like, was was a pun. Um, give me, give me the sentence again, please. The Nats bullpen situation this season is blank. Can you use it in the sentence? <laughs> it, no. It, bullpen situation this year is refreshing I like because it. they're not a complete dumpster fire like they normally are. Uh. I know what I want to say. I just don't have the adjective to say it. All right. What is it? See if it, we can come basically, up with a word. it's I haven't thought about it as much because I haven't had to think about it because we haven't I had see. the bullpen meltdowns. Mm, so a non-entity, perhaps? Something sort of. you don't have to think about? 
Yeah, yeah. like they, they've been great. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, especially re- refreshing is is a great way to put it. But I just haven't really focused on the bullpen as much. And so they've just been acceptable. Maybe acceptable yeah, is the yeah, word. Yeah, acceptable. That, that's in large in part because of the bullpen success, but also because I had to focus on the starting pitching and the, and the, the offense or lack thereof. All right. I like it. Okay, last one. The word that best describes the proper way forward for the Nats is blank. Mr. Gorbachev, tear <laughs> down this roster. I like it. That's not one word, but I like it a lot. I'm going to I'm going to allow it. I said it in one breath, so. Oh, super counts. <laughs> uh I hate to say it. Rebuild. Not retool, rebuild. This team needs to rebuild. Yeah, I knew that was going to be an answer from the, from one of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that was fun. I enjoyed that segment. It made me think. I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, my brain hurts. I like it. All right, we got one segment left, which I guess one of you put on here when I wasn't looking, which is we're going to do our one big thing. Well, maybe you should pay attention. Yeah, come on, Amanda. <laughs> well, it was put on here when we started to record it. Anyway, we're going to do our one big thing, which I don't have anything for because I wasn't planning on it. So I'll let you guys go first. One. Um, this is pretty funny because I think this is probably the first time in maybe 30 years the Washington football team is the best team in D.C. sports because the Nats are probably going to have to you know, tear it down soon. The Caps are probably going to have to tear it down soon. Uh, the Wizards stink. The Mystics are good. Hey, uh, they won tonight. They did. Um, I, I'm sorry. I don't pay attention to D.C. United. Anyone who is a soccer fan, someone please tell me how they're doing. Monty, but, cover your ears. Don't <laughs> listen. Earmuffs, Monty, earmuffs. But, yeah, there's one one decent team left. One time. We, ate, we had 2018 and 2019. But now it's back to pain. It's like, Can that's you what imagine what this would all feel like, like as frustrating as all this is. Like imagine if they hadn't, like the Caps hadn't won a cup and the Nats hadn't won a World Series. It would have been been like the Leafs, but for everyone. I would would not be a sports fan anymore. Oh, speaking of, do you know the Leafs got eliminated tonight? The Habs won game seven. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy that. I love a good underdog story. It's like, is the Washington football team good? Yes, what did it cost the rest of DC sports? Like, (laughs) it's basically what you're looking at. Um, I I had one more thing to talk about with that, but I don't know. Uh, My my one big thing is um, just fandom in general. You can still be a a diehard and still be, you know, a fan of a team if you're critical of the team. I think that it's, it's really all I have to say on it, but... This, again, fan police and saying people need to stay positive, whatever. Like I talked like about. Everybody can fan in their own way. Yeah, just matter. like with David Martinez, we need to keep it real, right? And so as fans, you need to keep it real with what's going on. Just because we're, you know, talking about rebuilds or retools doesn't mean we're not a fan of the team. Doesn't mean we, you know, want this team to do poorly. We want this team to do well. That's why we're suggesting a rebuild, right? So, again, it, it's just... A fandom shows itself in a, in a lot of different ways, so doesn't mean you're not a, a fan or any less of a fan. Yeah, and actually, I'm going to go with mine is sort of dovetailing off yours, Ryan, which made me think of it. Oh, I, I that, don't have one, but I have Well, one. I didn't, but now I thought of one because <laughs> I was talking about Ryan's, which is the uh, the fact that the Nats and the Caps have both been 
contenders for a long time. They've been teams that, you know, for a decade now have been a decade plus for the Caps have been putting forth really, really good teams. And it's been really fun, you know, for somebody who's been a lifelong Washington football team fan, you know, that is just, that was one of those just total hopelessness all the time. And to have other teams that you could count on being good and sure there was lots of playoff Mm -hmm. disappointment, but I'd always rather have your team be, be in the conversation, have your team be relevant going into the postseason. And I don't think, I think it's important that we don't take that for granted, especially given that it's likely both the Caps and the Nats are going to have to do a rebuild sometime pretty soon. And it's going to be a painful, hopefully only two or three years of that before they get back to contending. But as fans, we should appreciate the fact that we've had that from both the Caps and the Nats here in, in D.C. for the last decade. And and hopefully the football team can be good for the next few years and assuage our pain a little bit from yeah. Don't the be rest sad of it's our over. Teams. Smile because it happened. Yeah, exactly. To If you were to put it in a sappy, saccharine way, that would be exactly what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you guys got anything else before we get out of here? Uh, nope. I am saying it for one last time. Get something going. Start winning games. Your <laughs> schedule, your schedule gets freaking impossible in a couple of weeks. Now's your time. Um, their supposedly easy Please. schedule has proved impossible. So, okay, have you seen their July? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. What I know. I, I got the season ticket. People were like, uh, I think that I tell you guys this where they're like, oh, if you do this, you get the the playoff, playoff seats. Tickets. I was yeah. like, you know what, yeah. dude. Spare me your playoff talk. Have you I seen the schedule in July? Yeah, it's like I appreciate the the hustle, bro, but <laughs> right. I know you're just doing your job, but I'm going to need you to shut up. We're also. I was going to say we're also bordering on the point where Ryan's going to turn to Toxic Shack here soon if the Nats don't get it together. Really I'm, avoided I'm Toxic Shack right so far. You know what I mean? I, I expected it to have happened by now. I've been. Maybe that's why the Nats aren't doing well because Toxic Shack isn't here. Oh. Spin zone. Aaron Luck. <laughs> spin zone. Yeah, spin zone. Indeed. Just wait. <laughs> All right, well, it's coming. All right, well, thank you, as always, to all of you. What the hell was that? What was that? We're not – what the hell was that voice? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Watch out. Watch out for Toxic Shack coming to a Twitter fight near you. An accent, Amanda. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Twice today. Twice. Two it's inevitable, accents, y'all. Too. It's inevitable. <laughs> oh, I hate you both. Anyway, <laughs> thank you guys as always for joining us. We really appreciate you. Please make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so you know every time we have a new episode out. And uh, check out the website at halfstreethighheat.com. Find us on Twitter at halfstreethighheat and at our individual accounts. Have a great night and uh, we'll talk soon. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. Call your local congressman, we need another monument, the Nats are rolling.
By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nets, we've got a game to play For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.